Coming up on Golf Today, the LPGA has a new major champ, and she is Ronin Yin, a ball-striking genius who won the KPMG at Baltusrol. What does it mean for her and for her native China? And speaking of major champs, the 10-time major champ, Annika, stops by to reflect on the week at Baltusrol and look ahead to Pebble Beach in the U.S. Women's Open. Plus, what is the importance of star power on the LPGA? And New England's own Keegan Bradley gets the PGA Tour victory he always wanted at the Travelers. Is he now set to travel to Rome for the Ryder Cup? Find out next on Golf Today. Golf Today. Golf today on a Monday, Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week Magazine and Beth Ann Nichols of Golf Week Magazine brought in to keep us in line. Welcome to the desk. How was Baltusrol? Dramatic. And, and boy, was it a lot of fun to really get to know a rising star in, in Ronin Yen, a phenomenal ball striker who I think was born with the clutch gene mm. based on what we saw. <laughs> Why is it that we have a Golf Week majority on this desk, yet I still feel as though I'm the one who's likely to be voted off the island? Do you? Guys. It's a Never. little bit snug here. Never. Such are my insecurities. So we'll have a lot of fun. Speaking of snug, Ronin Yen hit a lot of shots snug in this final round. Time now for Sunday Best from Baltus Ross. He's 20 years of age from China, and it looked like, Eamon, she'd been there many times before. This is the par 4, 14th or second. Yeah, and you're going to see this as a recurring theme throughout these highlights, Damon. Hits that one to 10 feet. Pin high. Tough to do sometimes in majors, but not for Yin. Now this, the birdie attempt. It's tough to do at Bosses Raw. This is a golf course with a lot of major championship pedigree. You're absolutely right. It's been in the top 10 of Golf Digest 100 for since 1966. Really tough course, the, the lower course. Now this is the 18th hole. She had to lay up after driving into the rough. This her third. Uh, Parr will put her in a playoff with Yuka Sasso, the former U.S. Women's Open champion. Birdie will give her the outright win. She hits that one to 10 feet as well. Yeah, I was looking up and down the flag stick, setting up a nice uphill putt. Got to be a little bit aggressive here. There's certainly no tentativeness in this one. Oh, and a little fist pump for the effort. No one able to catch her. She's now a major champ, second ever from China, final round 67. Bogey free for a one-shot win over Yukasasa, the 2021 U.S. Women's Open champ. Five players finished at minus six. Rose Zhang, terrific week for her in her first professional start in a major. She's in a large group at minus five as Yin meets the press. Means a lot, but I still feel so unreal right now. Um, I mean, after, before today, I didn't even think about it. And uh, after nine holes, and when we at a clubhouse, I started thinking about, oh, maybe I have a chance to win this championship. There's a historic line of champions that have won on this course, Jack Nicholas, Phil Mickelson, uh, Mickey Wright. You know, what does it mean to you to, to add that name? And, you know, eventually you'll have your, your picture in the famed clubhouse here. Oh, that, that'll be awesome. I mean, even I think about that right now, I got goosebumps. I mean, they're all legend, and uh, I'm glad that I can be part of it. And winning at a historic track like this, does that add any importance or any significance to the victory, or you know, you, a win is just a win in your mind? Just one tournament. 
Um, I think there's more come. Yeah. All right, we'll wrap with Sarah. As somebody that was inspired by, you know, one player playing so well from, from your home country, to maybe be that one player for another Ronnie Yen, I mean, what does that mean to you, if you could put that into words? Mm, I would say... Um, that means a lot. I mean, she, um, me and she were super close, and uh, um, well, it's hard to tell. Um, I mean, we're kind of we're all want to push China Golf to um, move to the next step, a step, and uh, I think we're doing good. And just I want her to win as well, and I hope hope next time she won, she win, I can be there too. And Ronnie Yen joined Shen Shen Feng as players from China to win a major championship. I can tell you the People's Daily China Sports section, which has a million Twitter followers, had a picture of Ronnie Yen yesterday after her big time accomplishment at Baltusrol. You were on site, Beth Ann. It was remarkable just how comfortable she looked in the cauldron of a major championship. What impressed you the most? Well, she had us cracking up in the interview room. She was a delight to talk to. She just seemed so comfortable, as if she'd been there before, which we all know <laughs> she had it. And this was only her second second year on, on the LPGA, and, and just a, a very mature, wise player is kind of the way it felt. And this was a player, when she first came onto the LPGA admits, she was firing at everything. So she's mm -hmm. firing at all the pins. So <laughs> she's a much more controlled, uh, a controlled player, obviously a tremendous ball striker. Mm. And those early starts on the LPGA Tour were, as you would expect, a little bit rough, missed seven of her first nine cuts. But she, when she joined the China LPGA Tour three years ago, she won three starts right out of the gate. Now, admittedly, it was against a weak field. Those three wins barely cracked the top 300 in the world ranking for her. But they taught her a couple of very important things, which is confidence in how to close a golf tournament. And that's what you saw yesterday. I mean, it's remarkable that someone with that little experience hits her last 37 greens in regulation Ugh. on a golf course like Baltusrol under that kind of pressure in a major championship. It apparently came to the game kicking and screaming. She said she learned at about the age of 10 or 11. Her mother wanted her to go to this golf academy, and she said, you can go watch two movies if you go <laughs> learn how to play golf. And look at her now, and I wonder, big picture, what this will mean for China and the pipeline there. Is this going to be a, a tone setter for this country, as maybe Shen Chen Feng was for Ronin Yin? I, you know, I definitely think so. I mean, but we're, they're already here, though, mm. right? You know, when you look at the numbers, there are nine LPGA players from China right now. There are 10 players on the Epson Tour who have cashed a check already this season, wow. and dozens of players already in college golf in the United States from China. So, you know, I, I definitely think we'll see more participation numbers growing, but, you know, as as it stands, it's, it's not going to be much longer until mm. we see even more. When we see... We see a lot of young winners of major championships the last few years on the LPGA Tour. It's not always easy to then build upon that and become a, a multiple major winner, multiple tournament winner. What do you, is there anything about her that you think makes her more likely to accomplish, to build on this? Because, I mean, she's almost 270 yards off the tee. She's top 20 on the LPGA Tour, top 20 putter out there. Those would seem to be the weapons that could give her a leg up on, in terms of building that kind of resume. Mm. 
Well, and she leads the tour in strokes gains approached. So we, we know that throughout the entire season, she's been a tremendous ball striker. This was not a one-off, you know. And, and her caddy noted to be after the route, she had five three putts this week. And to be able to overcome that, and that's mostly all speed. That's what that's what she really needs to work on. And, and, and her caddy, it's an interesting note, this was only their second week working together. Only his second week on the LPGA period, he came from the Corn Ferry Tour, <laughs> running a just-let-go-of-her caddy. Uh, 20 minutes before he sent a text message to somebody. So sometimes fate just works out really well in your favor. <laughs> How about the venues that we're seeing? And that's a great story. But I, I look at, you know, the old course and Muirfield, Pebble Beach to come, Baltus Raw. Does that matter as well? Just the quality of course. This is a, an historic play. A.W. Tillinghast, lower, upper, perennial top 100 course in the country with an incredible major championship pedigree. Of course. I, I mean, I think the word respect is the word that pops to mind a lot when, when we talk about the importance of venues because the women deserve to be there. And I feel like when they play a place like the lower course at Baltusrol, that they're getting the respect that they deserve. Mm. Because, you know, Mickey Wright was the last player to win on that golf course in 1961, you know. So that's a really long time ago. So I, I, I just think you can't. You can't overemphasize how important venues are in the women's game. Yeah, it's not that long ago this championship was being played at a facility called the Jack Nicholas Sports Center, which sounds like somewhere you'd go for a workout, <laughs> not somewhere you, where you'd actually win a major championship. Respect definitely matters. Everyone knows what Baltus Raw is. No mm. one's going to confuse it for a gym. Yeah, fantastic win. Her second overall in the LPGA, her first major championship. For a big part of Sunday, though, it looked as though Roseng might get the job done in her first start in a major as a professional. We've got some highlights of the Stanford alum. How about this downhill birdie putt? Eamon, I thought the touch here on the par 4 eighth was exquisite. And this is when the crowd really started to believe it might happen. Got her to five under par, two shots back of the lead at the time. Absolutely. Just so composed. Here she is now on the par for 11th. We saw this ball striking quality at Liberty National a few weeks back. Won her first professional start out of the gate at that tournament. She clearly likes the Northeast, Damon. <laughs> Absolutely. Also likes the West Coast, as we're going to see very shortly at Pebble. Makes that birdie to get to 600. Now, this is after the bogey at 13. This birdie putt at 14. Bouncing back on the back nine of a major, certainly she was character. That got her back to five under par, and that's where she finished. Yeah, was able to drip that in. She did bogey 16, unable to birdie the par five 18. She finished tied for eight. You see a couple finishing fives there, closed in 36 for a four under par of 67. But I tell you, Beth Ann, in watching this player in her first ever start as a professional in a major, again, it looked like she'd been there many times before. I just look at the maturity of her game. I got to meet her briefly at Liberty National when she made her professional debut, and it just looks as though you know, she, we've been talking about her for years. We have in an amateur since, and Walker called her the best amateur ever, and she looks like she may be one of the best pros ever as well. Yeah, and I remember you predicting that yeah, I did. she was going to win a major championship I was going to text right Eamon endlessly and, had she got it done. I was like, wow, that's pretty lofty, but look, she almost did it. Yeah. I mean, and this was not her, her A game that we mm. saw, which I think is what's most incredible is that Roseang did not play her best, didn't even come close to playing her best, and yet she was in contention down the stretch in her first major championship as a pro. How remarkable is it that she came into this game in the paid ranks with the expectations as high as they are, and she actually seems to be exceeding them just a couple of weeks into her mm. professional career? I mean, where do you see the ceiling 
for a talent like this? Because clearly she's engaging fans, this idea that she's just going to come out as this phenom. It's almost a kind of a, a repeat of the Michelle Wee dynamic, except, you know, Rose never competed against the men as yeah. a teenager, but she has that vibe about her, but she actually looks as though she's really enjoying it. She's not burdened by it at all. No, in fact, she said, you know, that she was content with the result, not content with how she played. So I love the fact that she could separate the two. You know, she wasn't, you know, writhing in pity that she she didn't win her, in her first, you know, major as a pro. She she was very satisfied with how she played. And yet you feel like, you know, she's really going to get after it this next week to be as in tip-top shape as possible for Pebble Beach, where she happens to own the women's course record. Isn't it great to go into your career with no scar tissue whatsoever in this game? <laughs> amazing no scar tissue but remarkable street cred I think I asked you a few weeks back whether you know the pros would have some sharp elbows with this young phenom coming out there and maybe not welcome her and maybe I was thinking more of the old school days of the of the 70s and 80s but it just seems like you know game respects game her, her scorecard speaks for itself absolutely you know I I have to say though that I think that there are some natural gel. I was thinking okay. about that more. I mm. think that some natural jealousies will arise <laughs> amongst the ranks mm. and that it might grow as time goes on, but it's really hard to not like Roseang because yeah. she's not cocky. She, she's, a, she's a confident, humble person, but you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be interesting because she's, she's proving that she deserves the exemptions that have been given to her. Star power potential? There, I mean, I mean, I'm oh, talking. It's, I'm it's, talking like even beyond her game, absolutely. personality. She's got the she's got the pedigree in terms of the amateur career, an alum of Stanford. But does she have that that it factor? I absolutely think she does, and okay. not only that, but she's willing to put in the work. She's mm. willing it from so far to do all the things to go above and beyond that the tour is going to ask her to do within reason, right? I mean, she has a, a really good manager, agent, and, and Kevin Hopkins, and and I I think that. That he's gonna, you know, guide her well, but it's just so important that that the LPGA has a star who says yes and is not a reluctant star. Mm. We have to wait an agonizing long ten days before the next first round of a women's <laughs> major championship at Pebble Beach in, in the U.S. Women's Open. Obviously, she's performed well there in the past. Where does she fit into the list of favorites in your mind heading to Pebble? So I gave this some thought yesterday after a friend of mine texted me about this and. I I've, is it too much to say that she's the favorite? No, I mean, not too much. When, when you when you look at it, I mean, I, I would say Jin Young Ko, obviously the number one player in the world, would would be right there with her. But but w just when you look at how comfortable she is in that environment at Pebble Beach, there are going to be a lot of players who you wouldn't believe the number of players who've never played Pebble Beach, and this will be their first time, or they've only played it once very recently. Who will be blown away, awestruck. It will take some time to get used to the place and what this means. You know, not for Roseang. She's very comfortable there, comfortable with the grass. Yeah. She's already been around the course with her current LPGA caddy as well. It's where they had their first practice loop and lunch, and 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 I just think she's going to have a great vibe that week. That's quite the testament to the level of talent that we've got here. She is in her third start, and she's considered the favorite for the U.S. Women's <laughs> Open. And knows how to win USGA <laughs> events as well, U.S. Women's Amateur, U.S. Girls Junior. So I understand your, your point that she should be maybe at the top of the list of favorites. Much more with Beth Ann Nichols in just a little bit. Our producer says we have a very cool Rose Zhang note that she cooked up, career notes. So you see the back-to-back -back NCAA individual champ led Stanford in the 2022 NCAA tie. 
title, back-to-back -back Annika Award winner. Annika joins us in just a little bit. There's that U.S. Women's Amateur, the Augusta National Women's Amateur, the Mizuho Americas Open in her pro debut, girls junior as well. There's that T8 finish in her major debut as a pro. Well, coming up, Keegan Bradley didn't actually grow up in Hartford, didn't even grow up in Connecticut. But you wouldn't have known it based on the scene yesterday at the Travelers' Championship. It's as close to a hometown game as he has on the PGA Tour. We'll dive into his win next. Golf Today, brought to you by Win Grips, the best grips in golf. And Bushnell Golf and the new Pro X3, the best just got even better. Ambi, Cobra Aerojet drivers, faster by design. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to Golf Today. On Sunday, 20-year-old Ronin Yin from China rolled in a 10-foot putt on the 72nd hole of the KTMG Women's PGA Championship to win her first major title. And check out this impressive stat. She hit her final 37 greens in regulation. Her bogey-free final round 67 was good enough for a one-stroke win. And that is the second of five majors this year on the LPGA Tour schedule. Next week coming up, the granddaddy of them all, the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach Golf Links. Then the Monday Evian Championship at the end of July at the Evian Resort. And finally, the AIG Women's Open at Walton Heath Golf Club outside of London. And it's time now for our Writers' Roundtable as we welcome in two people who've covered almost 250 major championships at this point. Beth Ann Nichols, <laughs> who joins us here, and Ron Syrak. Ron, I want to start with you. The, in terms of the main storyline that comes out of Baltus Royal yesterday, is it for you this idea of the two stars are born in Ronin Yin and Rosang, or is it more striking how the biggest names in the game really didn't perform the way you would have expected? Well, I'll cop out here and take both answers there. Uh, first off, show of hands here. Who would have said going into the U.S. Women's Open, number one and number two in player of the year points would be Runin Yin and Lilia Vu, right? <laughs> so, but there, there, is, there is a question to ask. Where was Lydia? Where was Lexi? Where was Nelly? No question about it. But also what we're seeing is how much young talent is out there and, and how many different places it's coming from. Top seven in the, in, the, uh, in the final leaderboard were from six different countries. 
You know, I, I, I tend to agree on the both answer, okay. <laughs> but, but I do feel like I do feel like the buzz around Rose Zhang right now is so large that that it it it, it might overtake the ones that are 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 not showing up mm. <laughs> that Ron mm. mentioned yeah. in terms of Nellie and Lexi and Lydia and. And you know, I mean, I mean, obviously, we, we watched a lot of Lexi's great comeback just to make the cut. If that tells you something about where they kind of are right now, is Rose in danger of even overwhelming the winner of the tournament in terms of that mm. profile or stature or buzz? I, I, I definitely think we already saw some of that for sure. You know, and, and even just being on the ground and watching people who are, you know, it feels like everybody was around Rose. It was pretty much on the golf course, it seemed. And when, when Rose was done with the hole, they're scurrying on to the next. And you, you don't see that a whole lot on the LPGA as much, but it, it's, it's Michelle we like, yeah. right? Where everybody's moving on to the next hole and there's a lot of, you know, you know this from the marshals. So, you know, that, that's a, it's a different vibe that I haven't seen in a while. Ron, what about the absence of the Corda sisters? Because it feels like five minutes ago we were all, you know, spoiling for this wonderful Jin Young Ko, Nellie Corda rivalry and Nellie looked like she would be an untouchable for two decades. How much does the game miss her at the height of, of the LPGA rankings? Yeah, you know, uh, we really thought that she was just going to bounce back from the uh, blood clot stuff last year. She finished really strong at the end of the year and and that she'd have a, a great year this year. There have been more physical issues in there. It is huge. She would be one of the uh, one of the biggest stars out there. And, and to build a little bit on what, what Beth Ann said there, I was trying to think with Rose, what would we compare this to as an impactful debut in women's golf? I mean, the gold standard, Nancy Lopez, 1978, she won nine tournaments, five in a row. The fourth of those five was the Women's PGA Championship. 25 years ago, 1998, Siri Pack won four times, two majors. Her first two wins were the Women's PGA and then the Women's U.S. Open. Uh, you know, Paula Kramer came out in 05, and, and she won twice. She won Avion before it was a major. Then it's astoundingly qualified for the Solheim Cup team with only one year's worth of points. Uh, that's the last time I could see. This is as big of a splash as we've seen by a rookie in quite a while. Important that there's an American star? Does, you know, we... You know, Mike Wan used to talk about the importance of the international flavor of the of the LPJ Tour when, when he was commissioner. I understand that, but it is an American-based tour. It is, and it's been a really, really long time since there's been a dominant American player. You can just scroll through the Player of the Year winners in the last decade, and mm -hmm. and you know there's Stacy Lewis down there a little further down the way, about ten years and ago. And getting farther and farther away. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't think it's too much to ask. I think it's extremely important, as important as it is to have global stars, certainly for the LPGA schedule and appeal and the, and the health of golf worldwide. I, I just think at some point <laughs> the LPGA <laughs> should be spoiled by an American superstar who, who wins a bunch. <laughs> Beth, I wanted to ask you about something that is sort of a, a sideline story from the KPMG. They've created these KPMG performance insights, which is as close right now as the women's game has to shot length. Because so often when we talk about excellence in women's golf, we're talking about anecdotal stuff because the numbers aren't there to back it up and we have players who actually pay to have their own statistics collected so that they can try to judge their games by that. I know it's inexact in, in how it's compiled. How important is it that the women's game move closer to that so that we can adequately compare 
excellence regardless of gender? I think it's massive. I think it's, you know, I, I probably think at this point we don't realize how much we're missing it. And when we when we actually experience it very soon at Pebble Beach at the US Women's Open where there will be shot link for the first time in the women's game, that I think a lot of people's eyes will be open to, oh wow, this this is what we're missing, you know, to be able to really dive into the to the data and really tell you, you know, what makes Ronin Yin tick, you know, <laughs> why why is she so great? Why does she show so much promise? And and conversely, why is Lexi Thompson struggling? You know, unless you're actually out there watching these players with your own eyes, you know, which is impossible to do week in and week out, it's it's really hard to pinpoint the the specific reasons why someone is struggling oftentimes. Ron, where do you want to go with this, either the need for an American star or the importance of an equitable look at the stats across tours? Well, you know, I'll tell you, on both things here, first off, golf, golf's global tour works as a marketing slogan if there's an American in the mix. An American doesn't have to be the best player in the world, but they need to be in the mix. That helps bring eyes to it. And, and as for the enhanced uh, statistical uh, access that you could get to players, that opens up so many different windows to bring fans into the game. It, 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 uh, it uh, helps you in terms of fantasy leagues. Dare I say it helps you in terms of gambling. You know, there, there are just so many ways in which that statistical analysis can be used by fans to expand your fan base. That's a great point, Ron. I'm struck by how much support a country like Korea gives to its golfers. When I covered the Olympics, a lot of the golf courses were covered in snow, but they were there, the hitting bays. In China, look at the growth in China, which you talked about earlier, Beth Ann. Is America closing the gap at long last? Are we seeing these American girls have the same opportunity that Korean girls and Chinese girls are getting? It's coming, thanks okay. in large part to Mike Wan and the USGA putting together this national program that's long awaited because it, it certainly feels like the rest of the world caught up and then moved on by the mm. Americans. And, and, I, and I think unless you're in it, it's really hard to understand how, how valuable it is when you see these other countries have coaches on the road with these junior players and collegiate players at big events, national coaches that have been, you know, been with them from junior golf all the way, you know, stay with them into the professional ranks. So there's this continuity, there's this access that takes a lot of financial burden off of families. You know, I just think there are a lot of, a lot of players who are kind of, you know, overlooked because they don't have the resources to be able to get to the next level. And so I really think that this can't come soon enough for mm. Team USA. Ron, a final thought from you. We've seen a lot of noise over the last couple of weeks outside of the women's game in terms of this PGA Tour deal with the, the Public Investment Fund, what it potentially leads to the game going forward. You've covered 187 majors between the <laughs> men's game and the women's game, so you're well positioned to know how each of these worlds operates. Would you expect that to in some way bleed into the women's game? And would the morality argument that proved so futile in men's golf be equally futile in women's golf if we get to that point? Uh, I think there's certainly a lot of room for it to bleed into the women's game. Look, I, I, I think the key component to all this, there's a big difference between having a, 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 a national entity, a national government sponsor a tour than own a tour. You know, that, that there's a big, big difference. So it's a question of exactly what do they get for the money that they're going to put into it. Uh, you know, to, to 
build again on what Beth Ann said there. If I was a CEO of a corporation right now, I'd be looking at women's golf to put my money in there because, because you can become a title sponsor of, of a tournament for far less than you can in men's golf. You can become an endorsement partner with a, with a top player for far less than in men's golf. The opportunity in there to jump in, jump in on the ground floor of something that I think is, is spiraling up is very, very strong. Yeah, great point. Still feels like there's some gaps on the LPJ schedule that could be filled. Beth Ann, thank you. Ron, thanks for joining us on this Monday. See you down the road, my friend. See you at Pebble next week, Beth Ann. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I have some ties to Pebble you might have heard. Still to come on Golf Today, World Golf Hall of Famer and friend of the show, Judy Rankin, is going to join us and give her thoughts on the week that was at Baltus Raw as we crown golf's newest major champ. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. It's a Hall of Fame Monday here on Golf Today. Ten-time major winner Annika Sorenstam has taken a break from her preparation for next week's U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach to join us. And Judy Rankin will be here too. She's going to help us make sense of last week's major and take a look forward to next week's Golf Today continues right now. Golf Today. Golf Today on a Monday. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch, Golf Week magazine. We're in the thick of the major championship schedule, I'm enjoying every second. Yeah, we had one last week. We have one this week, one next week. You know, you, you go in from U.S. Open, to KPMG, U.S. Senior Open is this week, U.S. Women's Open, and then the next thing after that, we're at Hoylake yeah. for the Open Championship. It's just amazing the quality of player and play that we're seeing. I mean, last year or a couple of years ago, I should say, remember when Jin Young-Ko was, like, hitting all these greens in regulation, was bogey-free over the course of of different events. And now this, this Ronin Yin, 20 years of age, able to finish the 37th straight GIR at Baltusrol, the lower course. I've played Baltusrol. That is hard. You're not Ronin Yin. I'm not clearly. <laughs> but even for one of the clearly young, great players, these are the most stressful, you know, examinations in golf. This is A.W. Tillinghast. Bunkers, rough. She, she just went about her business as if she'd been there many times before. And what we're seeing in majors is that past results aren't necessarily any predictor 
of, of current form because she had no track record running in in, in major championships still at 20 years old. But Wyndham Clark mm. at LACC, he'd never finished better than a tie for 75th yeah. in a major championship when he won the United States Open. So if you get hot, you get hot and it's your week. That's the nature, I suppose, of the modern game. You, you've got to be opportunistic when those opportunities arise. And nice to be introduced to some new players, maybe not household names before, but they definitely are now. And in case you missed it on Sunday, it was an historic day in the KPMG Women's PGA Championship at Balti. As 20-year-old running Yin became one of the youngest winners in the history of this championship. She claimed the title with a birdie on the 72nd hole. Some might say she won it in style. It was a final round 67, bogey-free, as mentioned, a one-shot win over another major champ in Yukasasa. You see Shi Yu Lin, uh, running Yin, I want to say rents from Shi Yu Lin will be Interesting to see how that financial arrangement continues going forward. A wonderful final round 64 for Carlota Siganda from Spain. And there's Rosang T8, five under in her major championship debut as a professional. Let's flash back 18 years, Damon. The 2005 LPGA Championship, Annika Sorenstam won for the third consecutive year. She finished three strokes ahead of Michelle Wee, who was competing at the time as a 15-year-old amateur. And it was the ninth of Sorensum's 10 major titles. And let's take a look at what is one of the most impressive biographies in the history of women's golf. 72 LPGA Tour victories, eight-time Rolex Player of the Year, eight-time leading money winner, six-time Ver Trophy winner for a low scoring average, a member of the Hall of Fame, and has pretty much won every award in this game. We're pleased now to be joined by Annika Sorensum. Annika, thanks for taking some time out because I know you're busy working for next week at Pebble Beach. But quickly on the KPMG, when you saw Ronin Yin's performance yesterday, from someone who doesn't really have a track record, who hasn't really been in that position much, just one tour win before, were you surprised by how solid she was down the stretch? Yes, hello. Um, I really was. I mean, obviously, we were glued to the TV. We thought, it was, you know, I always watched the majors. It's exciting. And then now when the ladies are teeing up at great golf courses like Baltusrol, et cetera, it just makes it more exciting. And as you saw, the last hour or so, there were so many players that could have a chance to win. They were there in a two or three shots. And, yeah, I was very, very surprised to see such a young player you know, experience, but then again, as we not not that experienced to be able to pull it through on a tough golf course like you just mentioned earlier in your show. I mean, it was it was an awesome display of golf, certainly from tee to green. Annika, some players never figure out major championships. You did it ten times. What makes a great major championship player? Well, number one, I would say just patience. I mean, as you know, these are not sprints. These are marathons. You know, it's all about just being patient. It's all about just, you know, controlling your game. Um, you know, especially a golf course like that. I mean, it really tests every part of your game, whether it's driving, iron shots, short game. You know, takes experience and then you look at the leaderboard and you start and to me that's uh, I mean that just tells you a lot of poise a lot of mature and just you know focus on your game hitting one shot at a time and, and as you know I mean if if the tournaments were 54 holes or if they were 65 holes you know we would have different names on those trophies that's what makes the major so special uh, so well said now you mentioned Baltusrol this special venue you've won 72 LPGA events why do venues matter just in terms of the pedigree and history and quality of the course? 
for all the things you just said, Damon. I mean, I always say women, we, you know, we have bucket lists too, right? These are courses that have a lot of history. You know, the traditional golf courses, they are challenging. You know, they're just exciting to watch the history that where the men has played. I think it makes such a, such a difference. I mean, it gives you respect. It gives you credibility to these majors. I mean, you know, when I, when I finished playing, we started to play some courses that had a little bit more of a reputation like that. But this is what really has elevated the LPGA and the women's golf is to be able to tee it up on these fantastic courses. They're super challenging and and they're risk reward, all of them. And I think it's just fantastic. And like in some ways, that's more of a, I suppose, a philosophical question about elevating the women's game by going to these venues that have a lot of major championship pedigree. But going back to when you were a player and, and you were focused on walking away with that trophy on Sunday night, did you care what golf course you were playing on or was your job just to dissect what was in front of you? Well, I, I mean, I approached every tournament, you know, like it was the biggest thing. And obviously, at that time, you take the courses that you played at. And many, many courses were great. It's, it's, it was, it's not a, you know, a criticism to that. It was just more like, you know, when you have a major and, and the history on these courses, it, it does matter. I think the fans tune in and they love watching golf courses that people are familiar with. But, you know, I take every major, I take every win. I, I you know, I appreciate everything I've done. I didn't certainly look at the course and say this is is not, you know, not as special. They were all very special to me, and I'm super thankful. But I just think, how do you grow the game of golf? Well, there's to put them on, on courses like the ladies are getting the chance to play on today. So I think that's really important. And we just saw highlights of your third straight win in the Women's PGA Championship back in 2015. You held off Michelle Wee, who was 15 years older at the time. So you know what it's like to see these phenoms come up who have a lot of buzz, a lot of attention around them. We kind of have a similar vibe going on with the Rose Zhang right now. Are you, are you surprised by the start she's gotten off to in her professional career? Well, I mean, what can I say about Rose's start? I mean, it was phenomenal. I mean, to go out there and win your first tournament and then also to, you know, finish top 10 in your first major like that, it's really incredible. But you just look at the golf today. Look at the young players. I mean, they are getting coached at such an early age. You know, college golf has really risen to a different level. There's lots of, you know, initiatives out there to make these players more prepared, more ready. And just a lot more mature. And I mean, obviously, you know, with Annika Foundation, when we host these events, you know, all these players you mentioned, I mean, Ryong Yin, she has played in our in events. She's an Annika alumni. Rose Zhang is an Annika alumni. They have opportunities now that I would say that the previous generation really didn't have when they get prepared, they get um, opportunities to play and, and, and really grow a lot sooner than we used to used to see. Obviously, coaches is important and the resources and access. It makes really a big difference. Annika, you're preparing for the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach. You've won three of them. I was there for the win at Newport. Yellow shirt. Uh, Pat Hurst asking for an autograph as he walked up the 18th ferry. What are your expectations next week? Because when I look at you, I just think you're Annika, the 72-time LPGA winner. Well, Damon, you're the best. Thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm going to rely on every experience I have and everything, but I'm just super excited to get the special exemption from the USGA. And as you know, the U.S. Open has a special place in my heart. That's where my career started. And, and as you know, I hold my last shot at the U.S. Open in Ilocan in Minnesota to kind of finish my U.S. Open career there. And then, of course, you know, winning the Women's Senior Open uh, two years ago as, you know, as, as a mother. So USGA has a big place in my heart. And, you know, what can I tell you? For the women to to play at Pebble Beach is historic. It's just a, it's a milestone in so many ways. I'm excited. Uh, I've been working on my game. I find something, but you know what golfers say when they find something, you never know, but I'm excited. 
I'm hitting the ball pretty well. Now I just got to go out there and score and, and make some pots, but I'm going to enjoy every moment. My family will be there. We have friends coming out and, you know, I want people to tune in because this is very, you know, very big for women's golf to head to Pebble Beach. Annika, we, we tend to focus rightly on your 10 titles in major championship golf, but what often gets overlooked is the staggering consistency through your career. You played 58 majors, you made 53 cuts, 23 top five finishes, 10 wins, <laughs> six seconds. We hear a lot of golfers these days talk about they go into a major with a game plan and they execute it to the bitter end. How much of it was in your mind about kind of being patient and then waiting, putting yourself in position and then waiting to see when you could be opportunistic and grabbing it when the opportunity arose? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that just putting yourself in contention, you know, regularly is super important, not just for the confidence, but just in general being up there. I mean, it just makes you more comfortable. And I mean, I am super proud of my consistency. You, you're right. It maybe doesn't get talked about, but that's really was my strength. I, you know, I was a consistent player. Didn't make a lot of mistakes. I was, you know, most of the time and somewhat in the hunt and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But you know, being up there was really important to me to be able to keep that consistent play, whether it's to the green or around the greens, and just always be in the hunt. I love, obviously, being in hunt. I know a lot of golfers do, but, I mean, that's really what, you know, drove me to just hopefully, you know, win some more tournaments. But I'm going to rely on that and trying to stay away from big numbers, just be consistent. As you know, majors, that's what it's all about. And we're all going to make, you know, a bogey or two here, but you want to just stay away from the big numbers and, and be able to put a good score together. Annika, I love when you said I'm hitting the ball well. I almost fell over in laughter because that is what you have always done. So excited to watch you in a couple of weeks. We're so excited. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll speak to you soon. You got it. It's always fun. Thanks for having me. There she is, 10-time major champ. Can you believe I'm, I'm already excited. Like, I'm more excited maybe than I even was before that interview. Annika is at Pebble. Michelle Wee in her final start. Her family will be there. Rose Zhang, as Beth Ann Nichols said, potentially the favorite uh, running in. I mean, this is going to be fantastic. And, and the That's canvas. before you even get to the Jin Young Coes and the Nelly yes. Cordes and Lydia Cordes. And it's Pebble Beach, which every golf fan knows is a bucket list for anyone who's ever held a club. And a woman with 10 majors just told us she found something. I mean, right? Hope I got goosebumps in this game, right? When she said that. And I tell you what, I mean, she's such a gift to the game. And she's talked about her foundation and the things that she has done, investing in the game, not just in words, but indeed with the juniors that have come through the program. And it's funny, you mentioned all of the awards she's won. How many Annika Awards are, are named after her? Uh, but I will always look at her as a player. I covered her for the first time in 2005. She was chasing a third straight major at, at Cherry Hills, was not able to get it done that week. Birdie Kim got the better of, of Morgan Pressel, our colleague, and, and Brittany Lang, the two amateurs, and Birdie Kim holes out. But to see Annika at this time of life, you know, accepting that invitation, that special exemption by the words, I'm in, there's a lot to be excited about in a couple weeks' time. We've seen a little more of her than we might have expected over the last couple of years playing pro-celebrity pro events. And how kind of intimidated must you be if you're some kind of B-list Hollywood actor who shows up at a pro-celebrity event and suddenly you're in the same category of yeah. competition as Annika? Yeah. Because she is playing as a celebrity in the, those events. She's playing well. I mean, she won the U.S. Senior Women's Open by a mile. Yeah. And so that got her into the field for last year's Women's Open. She's back this year by a special exemption. I, I would be unsurprised to see Annika finish in the, in the top 20, top 30 out there. I think asking anything more of her at this stage when she's not really playing very much and is not competitively sharp is a lot. 
But then again, she's Annika Sorensen. Who, who would be surprised if Annika, kind of like if you go back to Greg Norman at Birkdale in, mm. in the 2008 Open Championship, when Greg was 52, 53 years old, head of the league, going into the back yeah. nine on Sunday. I wouldn't necessarily predict that. Would any of us be stunned by it either? Tom Watson the year after, yeah. you know, at, at Turnberry. And you're right. And, and to answer the question about the, the celebrity circuit, the likes of Marty Fish, and I've spoken to Marty about this when I covered the event in Tahoe, the American Century, there is a lot of respect from athletes from other sports and entertainers from other vocations when it comes to Annika Sorenstam. They, they respect that resume as much as anybody who's ever had 14 clubs uh, in, in their bag. Well, they better respect it when they're looking up at her on the leaderboard most <laughs> of the time. There's been a lot of backroom action over the last few weeks between the PGA Tour and the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, which bankrolls Live Golf. And in the spirit of billable hours for lawyers, our own legal expert, Jody Balsam, is going to explain what's happening and what might happen next. Stay with us. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. The June 6th announcement of a deal between the PGA Tour and the Saudi Public Investment Fund has gotten the attention of a lot of people, including on Capitol Hill. Senators Richard Blumenthal and Ron Johnson have scheduled a hearing on the proposed deal for July 11th. Invitations to testify have gone out to PGA Tour Commissioner Greg Norman, Yasser Al-Rumian, the governor of the Saudi Fund, and to Greg Norman, the CEO of Live Golf. The agreement ended litigation between the Tour and Live, which began last year, and someone to whom we've spoken quite a bit about that litigation is here with us, Professor Jody Balsam, who teaches sports law at Brooklyn Law School. Jody, I'm curious your reaction to th this move by the Tour and by Live to strike out the litigation. How unusual is it to have that kind of litigation essentially voluntarily withdrawn with prejudice when there is no apparent or enforceable agreement on paper yet? It's very curious that the parties took this step without an enforceable settlement agreement. They have an agreement in principle to combine the commercial activities, but if good faith efforts to consummate that transaction fail, either party can walk away with impunity. It's, it's equivalent to two armies in fierce conflict calling a ceasefire and then permanently withdrawing all their soldiers and tanks without a signed treaty, no guarantees of a long-term truce. So it's exceedingly rare that an antitrust lawsuit settles without exacting any penalty against the alleged offender, with the result that neither party can bring any claims based on the other party's conduct that occurred up to the date of the settlement um, of, of the withdrawal of the lawsuit last week. So this lawsuit is a dead letter, and yet there is no enforceable, uh, predictable outcome for how the golf ecosystem will settle. And now we have this DOJ investigation citing antitrust concerns. Jody, what will they look for? Well, um, at the moment, the DOJ seems to be principally concerned with the golfers' situation here. Um, one uh, um, aspect of the lawsuit that was getting less attention after the individual golfers withdrew from that is that they had claims early on that the PGA Tour is abusing its monopoly power in the market to buy their services. That claim was what most interested the DOJ originally, and um, that is what seems to be driving the renewed investigation of this merger, because the new combined entity would be vulnerable to the same set of antitrust legal arguments that Live Golf has now abandoned, that it's bad for consumers, 
It's bad for markets for there to be a single dominant presenter of elite pro golf. And in fact, in announcing the deal, PGA Tour Commissioner Monaghan acknowledged that its appeal to the tour was that it was taking a competitor off the board. That is a red flag for antitrust regulators like the Department of Justice and to other antitrust regulators, including potentially the European Union's competition um, interests and, and the UK. So how does the DOJ investigation differ from the congressional inquiry as well? Yeah, so um, the congressional, there are actually two congressional inquiries that have been launched. Uh, the one that you mentioned earlier is the one launched by the U.S. Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. They are concerned about the Saudi government taking control over a, as in their words, cherished American institution to sports wash its human rights abuses. So that investigation is less about antitrust than geopolitical considerations. Um, in addition, the Senate Finance Committee has launched an investigation into whether a foreign government, such as the Saudis, can indirectly benefit from the PGA Tour's nonprofit status. Uh, in the first investigation, there has now been an expansive request for documents and testimony. You mentioned the July 11th hearing date. Um, this, these requests rival those that were made in the litigation that were one of the motivations for the Saudi parties to agree to settle that litigation, to avoid public disclosure of what the kingdom considers state secrets. Well, here they are again, uh, potentially having to deliver exactly the public disclosure that they, they fought so hard to avoid in the litigation. And, and speaking of public disclosure, uh, the New York Times has filed a motion in the California suit. Uh, that suit, while uh, settled, uh, is still vulnerable to the um, press inquiries to unseal court records there. Um, most of the documents the parties filed in that lawsuit were filed under seal, ostensibly to protect confidential business information. But those rulings are intention in tension with the First Amendment and the right of the public to access court records. So we'll see at least one more decision from Judge Freeman ruling on whether the sealed records in the California lawsuit can be exposed, including, for example, the shareholder agreement between the Saudi PIF and LiveGolf, the communications that might reveal Saudi motivations and strategies for their sports investments. Jody. In terms of that New York Times deal or lawsuit, is that in any way impacted by this settlement? And what likelihood would you give the Times of Success for their argument that it's in the public interest to have these documents unsealed? Well, um, the settlement does not defeat the New York Times motion. And motions like the ones that the one that the Times filed are not unusual in high-profile cases, and they very often succeed especially when the case has raised issues of public concern, such as in the original Live Golf litigation, allegations of monopoly conduct, and that a foreign state has used its immense power and wealth to tortiously interfere with the U.S. enterprise and, and do harm to international sport. For all those reasons, reasons that have already been articulated in the New York Times motion, I think it has a very good likelihood of at least partial success and unsealing significant confidential materials in that loss. 
Jody, for the last year, I've traveled the country and had golf fans come up to me and say, what do you think this whole live golf thing? What is the probability, Jody, that this merger actually ultimately happens? Well, the timeline is very uncertain. Um, it's clear the DOJ is serious about this investigation. It could take months or years. The delay alone might spike the deal. And as I mentioned, other antitrust regulators abroad might also be interested. So I think there's no guarantee this deal goes through as originally announced, although it's clear that the Saudis want to dump a bucket of money into golf in the United States and the players are interested in, in sharing in some of that. So somehow we will see Saudi investment in golf. It just may not take the shape of the deal announced a couple of weeks ago. Speaking of this desire to put money into golf, Jody, in this new entity that's a for-profit entity between the tour and the Saudis, presumably that's what the Saudis will contribute in terms of assets is cold cash. In terms of what the PGA Tour could contribute of commercial value, their biggest asset is their media rights, which is obviously the collective media rights of all of their members. If that is moved into a for-profit enterprise, and, and if there's a perception that that for-profit enterprise is then using that asset to disproportionately reward just a handful of players with, with equity or some other kind of reward, do other players have recourse? Would you expect other players to litigate what might actually go into this for-profit enterprise down the road? Well, let me point out that the dismissal of the California lawsuit does not impede individual golfers from renewing their claims that the PGA Tour is abusing its monopoly power. So all of the players who were originally plaintiffs in that lawsuit, when they withdrew, they did so without prejudice. And of course, if other players are offended by the direction that golf is taking, yes, lawsuits can still be filed by those individuals. Uh, and. The other um, possibility could be a replay of what we saw in the 1960s, which was the founding of the PGA Tour by a group of elite golfers, including Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer, who did not like the way that their uh, tournaments were being conducted and the purses being shared, and they formed their own league. That is one possibility here that the golfers get together and abandon the tour altogether and start fresh with the league that is oriented more around their interests that's happened in tennis before in 1990 with the creation of the atp tour uh, there's no reason why it couldn't happen here because the golfers in some sense hold all the cards it is their rights it is their individual presence on the course that delivers value to the consumer. Uh, and they can decide to do business in a different way than it's been done the last 60 years. And this story has dominated the news cycle for nearly two years. Jody, thank you so much. We'll speak to you soon. And from Jody to Judy, the Hall of Famer Judy Rankin will join us next to give her thoughts on golf's newest major champ and the biggest storylines that emerged from the season's second major. Time now for Grand Adventures Return, presented by Grand Wagoneer. Tell you what, it was a grand adventure for Wuning Yin of China, who secured her first major title with a birdie on the 72nd hole in the final round of the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. With the win, she also becomes 
one of the youngest champions in the history of this event. The youngest? About Brooke Henderson back in 2016. Sahali got the better of Lydia Ko. She was 18 years, nine months, in a couple of days. Yanni Singh, Sandra Post, Sari Pat, and Rooney Yin at the age of 20. Let's hear from the champ. Miss a lot, but I still feel so unreal right now. Um, I mean, after, before today, I didn't even think about it. And uh, after night holes and when we at a clubhouse, I started thinking about, oh, maybe I have a chance to win this championship. Yeah. All right, we'll start opening it up. I will start over there with Jeff. You were giving yourself some chances and, and didn't make any putts to the first 10 or so holes. What finally started working with the putter that got you going? Um, I think I had a couple chances on the front nine, but I just um, missed it. But um, yeah, my caddy and I just were talking about just be patient and uh, putts will fall. And uh, I, I think on the back nine, I have a couple, like maybe 12 footer. And uh, yeah, just make made it. 13, 14? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, at age 20, what is any of this sunken in yet? Being a major champion out here? I'm sorry? At, at age 20, has any of this sunken in yet? That you're a major champion out here? Not really. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. Uh, when when I was walk on walking this ten, um, I just thought, I just said, oh wow, major winner. It's amazing. I, I, yeah, just unreal. Yeah. All right, Bethan. Yes. How much were you looking at leaderboards down the stretch, and did you know what that last putt meant? Yeah. Uh, I look at the leaderboard all the time because um, I like to look the leaderboard because I know where what position I'm at um, yeah just I think I was on 18t I just look at the leaderboard I saw oh I have one shot lead and then just when I walked down to the fairway and I saw Yuka make made a birdie there and I just, I know I have to make birdie on 18 to win this. So can you walk us through that one? And speaking of leaderboards, bogey-free 67 for Ronin Yin at famed Baltusrol, the lower course of one-shot victory over another major champ, the 2021 U.S. Women's Open champ, Yuka Sasso. Joined now by the Hall of Famer, Judy Rankin, on this Monday. It is great to see you. What was your big takeaway from the week that was at Baltusrol? Um, well, you know, I played that course when I was 16, so um, I was very interested to see that. And uh, it was uh, it was just it was great to watch. It was great to watch so many players play it so well at um, I guess an average of about 6,500 yards. So um, it was it was it was just fun and um, in such pristine condition, which I think it almost always is. Uh, and I, I, you know, I marvel. I marvel every day at how good today's players are. Speaking of how good they are, Ronin Yin hits her last 37 greens in regulation uh, during a major championship under that pressure. Does that give you a sense, Judy, that that she has the kind of staying power where you would expect her to be a, a recurring factor in major championships when she has that kind of composure so early? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things that I thought of when I read that. First of all, a long time ago, an old sage in the game said, you know, 
U.S. Opens and those kind of golf courses, which is certainly the KPMG um, kind of uh, site we've had for the last number of years, but this is one of the great ones, Baltusrol. Um, you think that this man said, you think that the best ball strikers are going to be the best, and usually they are, but you cannot discount the fact that on the hardest golf courses, on the most difficult tests, everybody misses some greens. So that makes it even a bigger deal, I think, that uh, this player, Roning, um, you know, hit, what, what, what did she hit? Six, 66 of 72 greens? That is so amazing in any form of golf, men, women, the best, um, the best juniors, the best high school players, the best male professionals. I mean, that is a stunning number. Speaking of staying power, Judy, Rose Zhang has already proven her worth on the LPGA, winning her debut at Liberty National. Now she finishes tied for eighth at the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. What kind of advice, if any, would you give to her to keep things simple as the expectations and the eyeballs continue to, to grow on this player? I think the best advice anybody can give to Roseang is don't give her any advice. She seems to have a handle on things. Um, she's very, very composed, aside from being what may turn out to be one of the world's great female golfers. Um, she, has, she has the right um, look and mental attitude about the game, I think. So um, that's, that's something that I think most players, even some very talented players, envy uh, when somebody just has the right, uh, the right attitude and they don't get ruffled very often. And it's, in fact, in her case, we haven't seen her get ruffled at all. And if, if you would have gotten ruffled, it might have been off the 18th tee. Judy, some pretty prominent names missed the cut at Baltusrol, like Jennifer Cupcho and Paddy Tavakanket. Nelly Corda missed it by six strokes, only made three birdies in, in 36 holes. And it's been something of a stop-start year for Nelly with various physical issues. Were you surprised how far she was off her game? Very much so. Uh, I guess she has a little history of taking some breaks, whether it's... Um, for physical reasons or whatever, and coming back and playing pretty strong. Uh, I think, I don't know, the world of golf today is so very difficult that um, even if you're at the very top of the game, uh, you, you've, you've got to be in the mix uh, more often. It's, it, just, it, it comes naturally to professional golfers to go compete, but I'm telling you there's a thing that we all know as tournament tough, and you've got to be that to play the best players and to play at the best courses. Judy, you mentioned playing at Baltusrol at 16. We're in this era uh, where the women are playing the best golf courses on the planet, whether it's the old course or, or Muirfield, Baltusrol, Pebble coming up next week. As a player, did it matter? Did you feel inspiration? Could you feel the soulfulness of a place, the history of a place? You know, if I'm going to be 100% honest, I would have to say rarely, but the, the place that turned me around with the history of the game and so on was playing at Sunningdale in England, outside of London. Uh, you know, the course was uh, near, not, not, not quite there, but um, 
nearly 100 years old at that time, and it was very much weathered by time. When we first played there, there was no irrigation system anywhere. Eventually, there was an irrigation system on the greens, and now, of course, it's different. But there was something about playing golf there that made me realize the game had come from somewhere. And, um, and I had played as a 16-year-old again at Carnoustie, and that made me think the game shouldn't have come from somewhere because it was just way too hard. Weather was terrible, and it was way too hard. But um, uh, Sunningdale was the place that started that for me. And then as my life went on in television and being at so many of the great courses and so on, I have you know enormous um, appreciation and respect for all these places that the women are now um, getting to uh, show off their wares. Well, our conversations are always too short. We wish we had more time. Judy, thank you so much for your time on this Monday. I want to tell you just one thing. Um, Roning Yin on the 18th tee gives a lot of weight to being a leaderboard watcher. Mm. That's a great sure. point. Tiger Woods uh, yeah. liked watching the There's leaderboard. There's a reason she's well. won 26 times, you know. Yeah, that's why we <laughs> check in with the World Golf Hall of Fame member whenever we can. And when Golf Today comes back, we'll be joined by Mary Lou Carter, the general chair of this year's KPMG Women's PGA Championship. She has seen the biggest winners over history at Baltusrol. We'll hear some of her best stories coming up. Tremendous major championship pedigree at the lower course at Baltusrol Golf Club. Ronin Yin, the most recent addition of the Women's PGA Championship winner, all the way back to Ed Fergal, 1954, but some epic names there. Mickey Wright, Jack Nicholas, Lee Jansen, Phil Mickelson, and Jimmy Walker in the last men's major there. We're pleased now to be joined by Mary Lou Carter, who is the general chair of the KPMG Women's PGA Championship and a longtime member of Baltusrol Golf Club. Mary, how far back do your memories and sort of activities go with these major championships that we've seen at the club over the years? Um, well, my first one I ever did was 1985 with Kathy Baker. Uh, but, wow, it was a long time ago. It was the upper course and definitely very exciting for the women here and the people that attended the tournament. Mary Lou, take us inside the gates. I've been, I've played, I covered Phil's win. In 05, there's a great vibe in the grill room, the golf course, all 36 holes, lower, upper, special. But what makes it special, having been a member for so long? Personally, I think because we're all very aware it is a club that really cherishes having the championships, and it's really part of who we are. Um, from the very beginning in 1901, our very first championship was the women's um, amateur U.S. Amateur. So when you become a member at Baltusrol, you are very aware. The membership committee talks about it. It's all over our walls. So it's a club that hosts championships and really enjoys it. So it's been a vibe for a very long time. There were 156 players in the field last week, Mary Lou, and every single one of them on arrival got a handwritten note from you. Why did you feel it necessary to do that? I think representing the club and the nature of the club, uh, probably having championships makes us closer as a community because all ages can partake in a championship as far as volunteering. So I think when I first typed it out and was going to do every one of them, I have them all printed, it just didn't work for me. And I had the time to do it and really felt it was something I had, had to give back to the club.
Mary Lou, how did you spend the week as general chair? Were you answering phones? Were you able to sit down and enjoy and watch some of the golf? What did you do? Um, probably all of the above, but most was being able to be very active in the volunteer committees that were going on just to lend a hand or to actually experience how much community was being built for this championship. I'm curious how this compares to previous majors, you know, a couple of PGAs, multiple U.S. Opens. Was there a different sense of, for want of a better term, a different sense of mission last week? Because women's majors, particularly this one, seem to be as much a platform for advocacy as they are golf tournaments. Did you get that sense on the ground? Absolutely. There were many events for even younger girls here in, um, during the championship week. So there was a different vibe. It was a lot of families. It was a lot of young girls. Um, the atmosphere was because more relaxed because we didn't have huge, huge crowds as you would in a men's championship. And I think watching the players, they were, first of all, very open to stopping and giving autographs. Uh, they were a part of making a, a welcome feel to everybody that was there. Uh, so I think the vibe being ca more casual, maybe, as far as being able to be closer and really watch a player, made a very big difference. Mary Lou, part of the great pedigree of Baltusrol, it's not just for the professionals, amateur championships, the Carter Cup, for example. What should we know about the Carter Cup? Um, well, the Carter Cup, even though it came out of a very difficult time for my husband and I with the loss of our son, was our chance to pay it forward for what Baltusrol had done for our son, who loved the game of golf and was here almost every day playing. Um, to give to other young men 20 years ago that didn't have a lot of championships to play in to make that resume to make like the AJGA. So giving a first class comp competitive uh, tournament to uh, the best juniors in the New York metropolitan area was a gift we could give through Baltusrol. And Cameron Young among the past champions. Mary Lou, it's great to see you. I know last week was awfully fun for you. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. All right, folks, the third major on the LPGA Tour calendar is just around the corner. Coverage of the U.S. Women's Open at iconic Pebble Beach Golf Links begins Thursday, July the 6th.